0: Welcome to the Gate World Podcast. Welcome to this week's installment of the Gate World Podcast. You're listening to episode number 19, and today David and I are talking about Remnants, last Friday's episode of Stargate Atlantis. We'll also give you a preview of our upcoming interview with actor Dan Shea from Stargate SG1, and we've got lots of Stargate news, features, and listener mail to get to later in the show. Pull up your collar and stay alert. Eratus bugs have been spotted in your area. The Gate World Podcast starts right now. My name is Darren Sumner, and joining me this week and every week is David Reed. Hello, sir. How you doing, buddy?
1: Uh eh, pretty good. Fifteen episodes down, five to go. It's kinda sad.
0: Yeah. Getting down there. How's Arizona treating you?
1: Arizona is decent. It's currently 73 Fahrenheit. Tomorrow is going to be a high of 85.
0: Wow. How's New Jersey? New Jersey is cold and rainy, and uh, we haven't gotten much above 50 in the last couple weeks. Oh, I can't wait. I'm going home to St.
1: Louis soon, and it's going to be leaves crunching under my feet and brisk
0: outside and mm-hmm. have to wear gloves. I love that weather. I love it. Stargate News. Here are your headlines from GateWorld for November eighteenth, 2008.
1: We've been keeping you up to date on Amanda Tapping's new series, Sanctuary, which of course airs as Stargate Atlantis' lead-out show on Friday nights in the United States. And this week, we're excited to report that the Sci-Fi Channel has renewed Sanctuary for a second season. As with this year, Season 2 will have 13 episodes and will go into production early next year. The show drew more than 3 million viewers for its premiere in October and averaged higher than a 1.5 rating in the next three episodes. New episodes of Sanctuary are still airing Fridays at 10, right after Stargate Atlantis.
0: I've just watched Kush. I'm a few episodes behind on Sanctuary, but I just watched Kush. And that was a really cool episode. That was a really cool... Kush is my
1: favorite right now.
0: You know, tr- really typical sci-fi story. It felt kind of like an episode of The Outer Limits.
1: hmm I really enjoyed that one. The next one is called um, Nubbins, mm-hmm. which aired last week. And it's basically Furby's run amok.
0: For several years now, fans have been able to acquire rare costumes and props from Stargate through third-party licensees like Legends Memorabilia. But now you've got a chance to get something straight from the source. Vancouver-based Stargate Productions is now conducting its own series of studio legacy auctions on eBay, featuring key props and even crew gifts from the show like those North Face jackets everybody wears. The props being auctioned off are the really good ones like Zat guns, Staff Weapons, a Toker Communications device, a Gould Healing device, and more. And what makes this series of auctions even more special is that every item is starting at $1 with no set reserve price. The studio told us that they really wanted to make the auctions accessible to everyone in order to get these pieces into the hands of the show's fans. The auctions will run over the course of about two months with more than 150 items. Read more now at GateWorld, or visit StargateLegacy.com. I don't know about you, but I am planning on bidding. I would really like to get me a Zat gun or something like that if I could get it for, you know, a hundred bucks or maybe two hundred. But I I don't know if I can justify going higher than that, especially now that we are advertising this and hopefully getting the auctions a lot more attention. I don't think any of the items are going to stay down in my price range.
1: I may spend. Three or $400, maybe. This would be like a -a once-in-a-lifetime thing (laughs) until Mm -hmm. Atlantis or universe starts going. But um, I I hope to pick something up.
2: GateWorld features.
1: GateWorld's new video interview with Stargate SG-1 guest star Peter Williams is online now. Peter played Apophis on the show, and we discussed the growing phenomenon that Stargate has become since the feature film, the various deaths and resurrections of Apophis over the years, and much more. It's about 18 minutes long, and you can watch it right now at
0: GateWorld.net. Over in GateWorld's books section, we keep track of all the SG-1 and Atlantis tie-in novels, plus non-fiction Stargate books such as the Official Companions. Well, this week we've added another category of books, the new audio dramas from Big Finish Productions. There are now six titles available on CD or by digital download, and each one is narrated by a member of the show's cast. Michael Shanks, Tori Higginson, Claudia Black, Paul McGillion, Terrell Rothery, and David Nickel have each narrated an original adventure featuring their characters. And there's a lot more to come. Visit gateworld.net slash books to find out more.
1: I proposed this to them uh, several years ago, to MGM. I wanted to do something very similar mm-hmm. uh, for uh, audio to have some of the cast and crew come in. Uh, about three years ago, I pitched this, and I can't help but wonder if they stole my
0: idea. I don't know. Big Finish has been doing this for a lot of years, and they're apparently very well known with Doctor Who. They do tons of Doctor yeah. Who audio dramas every year.
1: Oh, I'm not saying that I came up with the concept. I'm just saying that, you know, I, I'm wondering if I put a bug in their ear that, they, that this may be profitable.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe you sowed a seed that when Big Finish came and, and proposed a license, they, they were excited about it. Uh-oh.
1: And later this week, we'll be debuting another brand-new interview, this time with actor Dan Shea. In addition to playing Stargate Command Sergeant Siler on SG-1 for 10 years, he also served as the show's stunt coordinator and Richard Dean Anderson's double. In our interview, Dan talks about that memorable journey. Here's a preview for GateWorld Podcast listeners.
2: I like the, the focus. <laughs> I like the idea of having to focus, because you got 10,000 people twitching and, and doing your hair and all this kind of stuff, and they're right. fiddling, and all you're concentrating on is hitting your mark or not uh, anticipating the punch or not having your squibs go off early so you look like an idiot and mm-hmm. i remember one guy blew a two hundred fifty thousand dollar shot because he ran too early like he, all the cameras were rolling all of a sudden he got all excited the way he went and everything started blowing up and he was in everybody's way and they all got cut with glass it's and an they all went to the hospital, very expensive mistake and also they all went to the hospital so this this whole idea of the, the eye of the storm, the calm with all the chaos going around you that I think is cool. I think what's even cooler is being a stunt actor where you have to hit your mark, do some dialogue and have a little tiny bit of you know connection, my limited version of that, and then having all that chaos and stuff going on at the same time, being the dope that drives the car, or slides. or Because you always see in the scene there's the actor guy and then the stunt guy. Actor guy says his lines and then the stunt freak uh, gets shot. and so uh, and Plus I like getting paid. It's cool, too. If you're doing features, it's more dough, the bigger gags, and more money, and and, uh, so the money's good.
0: Watch for GateWorld's complete interview with Dan Shea later this week. The main discussion. Our main discussion topic today is Remnants, the 15th episode of Stargate Atlantis's fifth and, sadly, final season. David, what did you think of this episode? Remnants was classic Stargate.
1: I couldn't help but uh, watch the ending and think of episodes like
0: Scorched Earth. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, I thought of that one, too. Well, surprise, surprise. For those listeners who don't have episode titles at the tip of their prefrontal cortex... Scorched Earth was SG One, season four. It was an episode where there was a race called the Incarans,
1: who had a very specific uh, requirement in terms of the atmosphere that they could live in, and SG One was required to choose between the Incarans, a civilization that they had been helping for several weeks, and a new race, the Gadmir, which appeared out of nowhere in a ship. Um, their their AI was operating. The Gadmir species was extinct. To Terraform the planet for their needs Mm. and they made a compromise at the end and i felt that there was a very similar compromise in this episode with that device should we access it and spoil the information or should we send it on its merry way in the hope that one day it may bring fruit to a benevolent civilization Mm -hmm. the sakari I liked that the episode had a lot of different things going on in it and that all of them were interesting. Yeah. I wasn't saying, oh, fast forward, fast forward. I want to see what's happening with Shepard. Or, no, I want to know what's going on with Woolsey. Or, you know, oh, Zelinka and, and McKay. You know, and I don't care for them. Every... Uh, storyline that was going on and there were a few of them mm-hmm. was was fascinating to watch and was fully enjoyable. I really liked that because that doesn't happen very often in yeah. in my in
0: my experience lately. This definitely reminded me a lot of Scorched Earth uh for those reasons. Obviously there's a cedar, there's a, a extinct civilization trying to recreate itself in some form many many generations or potentially millennia later. Um but that story Scorched Earth was about should we save this people, or should we allow this extinct civilization the chance to come back? So it was it was that nice moral dilemma. This had that interesting element of the IOA injected into it, and the mm-hmm. fact that, that their decisions are not usually uh, very morally driven. The dilemma was our self-interest. Versus the survival of this species.
1: Yeah, well, the IOA isn't out there fighting the good fight. The IOA is sitting behind a desk. It doesn't have constituents to answer to, it just answers to itself. It's not a public organization, but it still is thinking very much about itself and is not really thinking about the greater good overall. What can this thing do for us? What can it do for me? You know, and that's not always the right way to go that's that's one of the issues that I've always had with the i o a that that was intentionally put in place about it yeah it's you know? been
0: it's been really interesting since the IOA has taken over basically in command they're they're at the top they're in charge of the Stargate program and the Atlantis expedition since what it was about uh, early season nine of sg one when when the u s Senate basically cut funding to stargate command atlantis has been has been under the the international Coalition since since rising. There's a reference in here. McKay says that this is a technology that he's encountered before. Did you catch that reference? When he discovers that the device is capable of causing mass hallucinations, he says, "Oh yes, we've seen this before." M1B129. So I, I, that's right. Of course, season three. I'm not you. I don't have the planet designations committed to memory. So I looked it up in the omnipedia, and that's Phantoms in season three of yes. Atlantis.
1: We assumed that that was a rate device.
0: Yeah, we thought it was a Wraith device that they had. the Wraith had created that somebody left on, or the genii stumbled across it, I guess, and turned it on and couldn't turn it off again, and it caused our team to
1: hallucinate. Do you think the Wraith tried to harness the hour of that unit, that one perhaps landed on that planet, and the
0: Wraith kind of transformed it? That's interesting. That's possible, because the AI does say that the Sakari sent out lots and lots of these things, and none of them... I think 50 successful. Of them. Yeah, 50, yeah. And, and none have, have succeeded. That's interesting, the idea that... Phantoms might have been one of those devices that the Wraith sort of hijacked and jerry-rigged. But at the very least, they're similar. I thought that was interesting. Yes.
1: I didn't exactly know what was going on. I knew that something was up. I I didn't think that it was really Kolya. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that something was going on with that. And especially when, when Shepard had his arm cut off, I just knew, okay, there's going to be some kind of dramatic reverse here at this point, because... I don't think they're willing to take chances like that on this show, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, It would have been really interesting if if Keller could have used an ancient device to reattach his arm later,
0: because that would have been some really interesting character development for him, but sadly, no. It looked cool. I mean, it looked like they were taking the risk. If you didn't see the sci-fi twist coming, it looked like they were... I was pretty surprised when he actually hacked his arm off. Okay, now, we'll talk about each of these three storylines one at a time, but overall, were you surprised? I mean, you say you didn't think it was Colia. So what about uh, Vanessa, and what about Zelenka?
1: Well, I thought it was awfully convenient that uh, this character, Vanessa, was just going head over heels for Woolsey. I mean, let's face it, I mean, Woolsey, yes, Picardo has brought sexy back to Atlantis, (laughs) but for this... um, it was just kind of sudden and it didn't really feel right you know it it felt like something else was going on it felt like she was on the outside and then when that was revealed i recognized that zelenka was probably not zelenka because he was saying how brilliant mckay was hmm. and i was really hoping that zelenka would dress him down and and say screw you or something you know like that but he didn't he kept on feeding mckay's fantasy and kept on trying to push Uh, mckay to discover what this thing really was and so i saw that part of it coming once i figured out the other two weren't real Mm -hmm. um and they didn't reveal that until the very last moment of the episode but um all in all i thought that uh, it was it was a very well conceived concept you know having each of the the groups be influenced by the ai from the device i was kind of unsure how this was going to work because Kolya came to shepherd before the unit was found on the ocean floor so when McKay stirred up the ocean floor in the episode Prodigal uh it made a lot of sense that uh that the unit was triggered on or or a switch went off and so it was
0: that was suddenly why it was Able yeah. to talk with us. yeah. Whereas we've been on this planet for now more than a year and a half. That's interesting to me that you that you saw Zelenka coming, but but not necessarily the whole thing. I read spoilers for this one. I read a, we had a lot of casting sides for this episode. I knew going into it that Vanessa was fake; that she was the AI. Oh what a shame! That Kolya was too. So I knew those two from spoilers just going into it. Zelenka caught me completely off guard, and I love that twist because then you—it's like the sixth sense. You go back and watch it again, and you see, well, wait a minute. Zelenka's not actually doing anything. He's got McKay, actually, you know, doing the scan of the ocean floor, and he's got McKay Mm -hmm. actually figuring out how to break the code, and and he's just kind of standing around behind his shoulder. Now, there is one moment, though, in the transporter chamber where Vanessa apparently actually punches in Woolsey's destination.
1: Yes, yeah, she is actually able to apparently... Is that a bit of a cheat, maybe? That's a
0: good point, yeah. yeah maybe he actually
1: did it and didn't realize that.
0: Yeah, my only explanation is that by interfacing with his mind, she, you know, got him to do it without realizing that he was doing it, just to sort of yeah. sell the illusion a little more. So let's talk about Woolsey and uh, his his storyline here first. He's got the IOA evaluation from Shen Yi, and he's got this potential budding romance with Vanessa Conrad. This is a, a big Woolsey episode. It was, you know, considering that this is going to be it
1: for Woolsey episodes. Um, I thought that it was... Uh, it was it, I, I liked the fact that Taylor recognized his... Isolation at the beginning I thought that was very sincere And and kind Mm -hmm. of sweet And the fact that it resolved At the end of the episode Like I already said about Conrad I I didn't really buy into it But I was really looking forward to Xiao Coming back into the show Mm -hmm. Because she was one of my favorite characters From SG-1 season 9 The Scourge and uh, she was also in one or two more episodes of SG-1. I really liked the fact that she was coming back, and I've been looking forward to uh, this confrontation between the two of them for a long time, because now with Woolsey, the shoes on the other foot.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I like her character a lot, and I, I like the actress, Tamilin Tomita. She goes back to old-school Babylon 5 days. For those of us who are B5 fans, she was in the original pilot. Because the IOA has always been such a huge part of Woolsey's life, I, I like the fact that we are getting to see some of those other faces, and she's a great one. There are not a whole lot of IOA characters. They mention Mr. Coolidge at the end, who I think was was the IOA rep in... Midway? Midway, last year. So yeah, this Woolsey story I think was great. It, it felt very organic for his character to come in and address the fact that he's really a solitary guy, and by the end of the episode I feel like he's chosen to be solitary because he's on this probationary period and he doesn't necessarily know if he's sticking around. And now that he's gotten the OK, he's the permanent commander, um, he's willing to open yeah. himself up a little bit more and, and establish some relationships with the team that are maybe take a little step beyond just the professional.
1: Yeah, I think this episode was um, was a long time coming. I'm a little surprised that it took as long as it did. I mean, he's been in the command of the base for probably eight or nine months now. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit more than a temporary uh, individual would you know you think that they they would have that this story would have popped up episode four or five of this year yeah, I think it was supposed to be a nine month probationary period well still that 's a lot of time for uh, to see whether someone 's going to work out or not, mm-hmm. um, especially if, if the i o a wasn 't sure if he was the one who was going to work out, and it also shows you know that the i o a they don 't necessarily um, reward those who have been loyal to them for so long you know if you if you slip up. And you don't follow their protocol, you're done. You're out of
0: there. Yeah. You know, not exactly good friends to have. Yeah, and Woolsey admitted to Shepard very early on this season, back in the Seed episode two, that he's once he got into those hot situations and had to make the judgment call that violates protocol, he, you know, this was a crisis for him early on. And this is kind of the payoff for that. It it does get him into hot water. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the I.O.A. is is obviously an international organization. There are a lot of countries. That, that have a lot at stake and they have a say in the atlantis expedition so it it makes sense that there's a lot of political machinations going on behind the scenes there that are there, there are different parties with different interests
1: right and they're all jockeying for um their say yeah and shen wanted Woolsey's job apparently that would have been interesting to have chi- a chinese leader In Mm -hmm. the base.
0: Yeah, and another woman. Exactly. I mean I like her character so much in, in the few episodes that we've seen her in in both shows over the last few years that I was kinda surprised that she was kinda playing playing dirty a little bit, playing hardball. And I thought it was great character development for her, frankly.
1: I think they established with Shen in the Scourge, in her conversation with Daniel Jackson, that she and her country are tired of playing second fiddle. They want more responsibility. Mm-hmm. And she even raised the point, you know, what if, what if the Stargate was in the hands of the Chinese rather than the U.S. government, you know? Uh, and Daniel was like, I don't see that happening, but, but Shen was like, what if this episode furthered her country's attempts to gain more control? Yeah. And I really liked that about it, you know, because the Chinese do have a say; they are a part of the international oversight advisory.
0: I gotta wonder, since it was the Sakari AI that tricked her that basically showed her that that fake transmission I, i've got to wonder if that ruse is going to hold up once she returns home and talks to whoever it was that's a good point yeah she's written the glowing report basically so i guess it's it's far enough now that she can't unwrite it and and Woolsey's is going to be okayed but
1: yeah now that i think about it that i'm surprised the guy didn't say like let's not speak of this again or anything like that you know to solidify that <laughs> that point because once she gets to the other side of that gate, I mean, we just have to assume that, that this is someone that she doesn't talk to very often that, and that she sent her report off and all's done. But the AI who scanned her brain probably knew that that was the case and knew exactly what to say to properly manipulate her. So I think that we can rest assured that, that it's all settled.
0: Okay, well, the next storyline going on in this episode is Shepard and Kolya on the mainland.
1: Great to have Kolya back. Big fan of Robert Davi in the show. The only thing that uh, that bothered me, I kind of knew that it wasn't Koya, as I already said, but the only thing that bothered me was I kept on asking myself, what does he want? What, mm-hmm. Why is he coming back now? You know, that did not make sense to me because it's just, to, oh, to, we found your position. Now we're going to enact revenge. He's kind of like doing a Michael and that didn't sit with me well. He didn't have an, enough of, in, in my eyes, he didn't have enough of a reason to be there. I kept on asking myself, what does he want?
0: Yeah, it kind of came out of left field.
1: Yeah, exactly. Even after saying that, you know, I was thrilled to have Dobby back one last time.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, one last hurrah. He is, I mean, I think looking back over the course of the five years of the show, he is more than more than anyone else, more than somebody like a Michael or a Todd. Coley has always been Shepherd's nemesis. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that, that the AI would find Kolya in, in John's mind and, and use him to distract him. And, and those scenes, I mean, the torture scenes are are very visceral. If I didn't know that Kolya was, was fake, then I think that what would have started to sow doubts in my head was, I've got a couple of my guys working on your jumper since when do Jennia soldiers know how to fix a trashed puddle jumper?
1: Yeah, I know. You know, they can they can trash it, that's one thing. But the <laughs> other, I mean,
0: fix it? Jeez. Yeah, that was a little silly. Well what I really liked about the Shepherd and Kolya stuff was the final revelation when the AI Kolya admits to John that, that he is he is who he is, he's not Kolya. This little exchange that he says that that he says basically I pull this out of your head and you torture yourself every day, John. You are responsible for for the construction of your own nightmare that was a really great insight into shepherd and who he is as a soldier you were a threat if anyone was to use force to secure the repository it would have been you the military man so i connected with your mind to distract you distract me
2: making me think the jumper had been sabotage would have been enough of a distraction
0: you would have discovered the subterfuge I'm unable to maintain a static illusion over time. It was necessary to keep your mind occupied. And that's what you chose? What you chose. I didn't have full control over your hallucination or the direction it took. It was your mind driving the diversion. I merely played along.
2: You're saying I tortured myself.
0: You torture yourself every day, John. But in this case, it was your mind manifesting your darkest fears. You were the architect of your own self-deception. That whole plot thread if you if you stand back from it a little bit and just look at what's going on inside of Shepard's mind and think about the whole thing as taking place basically inside Shepard's mind. You really learn a lot about the guy. You learn a lot about what he values and about just that. He he tortures himself.
1: A lot like we did in Phantoms.
0: Yeah. I mean this was this was good. I liked this episode. This was this was classic Stargate and it was it was classic science fiction. And then we had the third element, McCain Zelenka. Yeah, Zelenka finally tells McKay how he feels about him, and then it turns uh, out to all be in Rodney's head. Exactly. I think Joe Malazzi really, really
1: towed the line, and uh, if everyone was playing to their fantasies, Zelenka would have been ooing and eyeing over him. He really would have, but they made it seem a lot more real so that we would buy it. Yeah, that would have been over the top. You would have seen it coming, I think. But wouldn't it have been funny to see Zelenka really over the top? I mean, all he did say was, he was, he was he's brilliant. He didn't say he's a genius. You know? He was, he was kind of still a little bit snippy. And if, this was, if Rodney is really as self-indulgent as sometimes we think he is, then he would have been, oh, yes, Rodney. That's perfect, Rodney. You know, <laughs> And I almost wanted to see that.
0: It would have been a comedic yeah. episode at that point, yeah. But, yeah, exactly. but yeah it's, I, what I liked about it was that I totally bought that it was Zelenka. I totally bought that Zelenka would say that to him, and he said it kind of hesitantly. He said it like, I don't really want to tell you this to your face. I mean, the AI is doing it to keep him on the trail. This fake Zelenka was just such a great twist, I thought, because you can see... If you watch a lot of TV, you watch a lot of sci-fi, you can see the the fake Vanessa coming, the fact that she's not really there. Uh, you watch the episode far enough in, and you kind of get, get the sense that, that he's the only one who can see her. And then maybe... If you recognize that twist, then you can start to figure out, well, something's going on with Kolya, and he's not really magically alive again. Maybe he's not real, too. But then there's the third twist, and Mm -hmm. I mean, how many people, I wonder, out there caught all three twists before they were revealed?
1: Exactly, yeah. There's something big going on. Watching the episode, I subconsciously knew that there was a strand pulling all those those elements together, Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't exactly know what they were. Um, usually you get an A and a B story in a- normal episodes. This case, it was an A, B, and C story. And if they were all just three different stories crammed into the episode for the sake of getting them all in, that would have been kind of odd. But they were all interconnected. Yeah. So that was really great. And the only outside element in this episode was Shen. And and she was manipulated in the end, too.
0: Yeah, and she was real. Well, overall, how are you going to grade Remnants?
1: I will give it a 9 out of 10 like I graded the prodigal. I was very satisfied with this episode. I really enjoyed myself. It was classic sci-fi. It was classic Stargate. It, this is the kind of episode that I hope Universe kicks out in spades because mm-hmm. this was an interesting show and it was a show that I think I've been longing to see for a long time in terms of its quality and in
0: terms of its, its kind of storytelling. Mm. So pro- props. Many props. It's a great hour of atlantis i think it's definitely one of the better episodes of the season it's a nice science fiction story and uh, it's got these extra twists i think even if you think you figured it all out you're hopefully still going to get going to get tripped up at the end with zelenka like i did i'm going to give it uh, i think an 8.5 out of 10 i thought it was a really great episode
1: It shows and it proves that you don't need flashes and bangs and lots of visual effects to make a good episode.
0: This was not an action hour. That does not make
1: a good episode. It's like, I I don't understand all these people who love the movie Transformers. And I always ask them, why did you like it so much? Oh, the visual effects. Like, but the visual effects are always good nowadays. Nine out of ten times, they're great. I cannot fall in love with something because of how good it looks. You know, it has to make me feel something. It has to make me think. It has to leave me thinking about it
0: afterwards, saying to myself, that was good. And Remnants was good. Yeah, I I love the episodes that remind me of my favorite television show of all time, which I think is still Star Trek The Next Generation, because that episode was drama-based for the most part. And episodes like this that do drama, I think, really pay off. Stargate shows that they are capable of doing dramatic character episodes. And the best part of the episode was when Woolsey calls Chuck Chet.
1: <laughs> it was nice to give Chuck some lines that were not exposition-related, you know? We, he doesn't talk very much when he's not reporting, and so it was really great to say, it's Chuck, sir. My name is Chuck. Yeah. And I was hoping for a last name. I was hoping so bad, because <laughs> Banks has a last name.
0: Yeah, it was just great. So. He's Woolsey's introducing all the technicians, and finally all the little behind-the-scenes day players get their moment to shine. They're getting introduced yeah, exactly. to the guest and he knows Amelia by first name and he knows that she's a kickboxer and asks her about her hobbies and mm-hmm. then he gets Chuck's name wrong. That was great. Listener Mail. In last week's listener question, we asked you what you thought of Atlantis' supporting races. David, who's our first letter from?
1: Our first letter is from roast My favorite race was the Bolokai, who appear only in the Season 4 episode Missing. They're a tribe of primitive raiders who use the Stargate system to attack vulnerable villages. Of all the races ever introduced on Stargate, this race seems the most realistic. The Stargates allow anyone to travel to other planets without advanced technology, and it makes sense... That even primitives could decipher the dialing system.
0: When we first got to the Pegasus Galaxy and saw that that there were primitive races, because the Wraith were keeping everybody primitive, we saw that lots of people used the Stargate system to travel back and forth. That's not the way it is in, in the Milky Way Galaxy. I thought that was a great idea and that we would see it a lot more. So I think this is a good point about the There, They travel from world to world, but they're, you know, scavengers and cannibals. Mac Jackson writes The race I love to hate would be the Genii. The trick to any good villain is to be able to see their side, and the Genii do that in many ways. They just choose to be bullies in order to get what they want. The big race that lacks for me, however, is the Athosians. Just like Taylor, they have been underdeveloped and written badly, and when no one knew what to do with them they were thrown on the mainland and only mentioned again when they disappeared. It is an obvious misuse of characters. I could
1: not agree more with Matt Jackson on the Athosians. Um we were we, they uh were missing for most of season 4. Um I couldn't have cared less, you know. I was never made to feel something for the Athosians. I never I never did and when they disappeared it was like
0: okay, whatever. Well, it was because they were missing for seasons two and three leading up to season four. We, it's not like we had ever seen them very much. We saw Sharon and her funeral ceremony in season two, uh, but other than that...
1: Yeah, we saw Wex and Shinto um, and in the first couple episodes of the show, and then they disappeared. We never saw them again, and the only one other outside of Sharon was Hauling. And then we had uh, Kanan, whom we had never seen before and never heard of before until... Uh, mid-season four. I was like, okay, that's great. Next. Mirrorwalker says, I agree that the Athosians have been underexplored. We've witnessed the occasional ceremony or culture clash with them, but then they're off to self-imposed exile on the mainland. More regular interaction is implied and mentioned, but never seen. As SGA's first friends, it would be nice to hang out with them just a little more.
0: They left Atlantis in season one's fifth episode, Suspicion. And it, it really felt at that point like they were more of an integral part of what Atlantis was going to be. But it really seemed like maybe it was an experiment for the first few episodes, and then it was deemed that the experiment didn't really work, and the characters didn't necessarily work. Yeah, it work, felt like so they, they were written them. out. Yeah, they were written out. One of the team members is an Athosian, and then we
1: have no connection with her whatsoever. And that's
0: something that I'm really looking forward to talking with Rachel about. I think it's symptomatic of the underdevelopment that we've seen in, in Taylor. We never really got to know a whole lot about who Taylor is because we never really got to see the Athosians much. Dimbo Sama writes... My favorite race that has been introduced in Atlantis would be the Satidans. They have this great feudal code of honor, and there are always illusions as to what their race was like. They just never tell you, so you have to fill in the pieces yourself. I've never been a huge fan of the Satidans, but um, I've enjoyed them just fine. I like the fact that there was a semi-advanced race that was destroyed by the Wraith, and their survivors were scattered. That was a cool idea. Mm.
1: There are so few races that have fought back militaristically and the satedans were certainly one of them despite the fact that they failed
0: yeah miserably and we have a couple of other pieces of listener mail this week on other topics
1: Mav says i love the podcast and i have a question for darren and david While it may seem like a silly idea any chance of you guys doing a retro podcast of previous sg1 and atlanta seasons i know that would be quite a few podcasts but maybe you could devote four or five per season I love both your takes on the Stargate universe and franchise and would love hearing your opinions on the classic stuff. Keep up the good work.
0: Well, we started the podcast with Season 5 of Atlantis, so that means we have 14 years of Stargate behind us.
1: I really, really appreciate the compliments, but I don't have that kind of time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that what we've talked about in the past is maybe we'd like to do a podcast devoted to a a single season, do do an entire year, and sort of do a broad overview of something like SG-1 Season 5 and call out our favorite episodes and our least favorite episodes. I think that would be fun as a main discussion.
1: Yeah, during the off-season of uh, no new Stargate episodes, I, would, I wouldn't mind devoting one a month to something like
0: that. Yeah, that seems about right. One a month and then maybe in a year or a little bit more. We've done every, every year of the shows. And Isabel writes, I would like to say thank you and thank God for your website. I am a serving soldier in the British Army, and when serving on operations and overseas, if not for your website, I would have no idea what was going on in the Stargate world. My family sends the magazine, but the website offers more. I've also discovered the podcast link and have now downloaded all 18 podcasts. I have much fun when I get time to sit and listen.
1: Well, thank you, Isabel. And thank you for your service to our respective nations. Yeah,
0: thanks very much for the compliments, and it's good to know that some people are out there listening. And uh, stay safe wherever you're going. You mean some people in the military are out there listening? Some people, period.
1: Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's not that bad. And we have a voicemail from Jeremy.
0: Hi, my name is Jeremy Heiner from Hillsboro, Oregon. And my idea
1: for the show is what goes into making each week's podcast Darren and David live in different parts of the country, so how does the podcast come together? Did they use a phone, a Skype, or something else? How does it work? So I was just curious how each weekly episode is made.
0: Thanks, Jeremy, for your message. Um, what goes into making a podcast? Uh, we do use Skype. This is a cool little tool that, David, you turned me on to. You did some interviews by Skype.
1: Yes, I did some interviews by Skype, starting with Damian Kindler a few years ago, and then uh, Darren came up with the idea for a podcast. So
0: we use a little program on the side. We use a program called Power Grammo that records Skype.
1: But uh, Darren starts off in the chain of what makes the podcast
0: happen. Well, over the weekend, I write us a little script for the scripted portions. We, we If you can't figure it out by now, we script the news and we script the site features, uh, and we kind of riff for the rest of it. And then we record. We're recording most of the time on Sunday nights, and yeah, I think Skype is great. As long as we both have a good internet connection, it makes it sound like we're pretty much in the same room. He FTPs the audio to the
1: website. I download it, and typically Monday nights edit the piece for publication. I have a sound bay of all sorts of effects and various doodads, that I plug into it to, to make it sound professional. And I take out a lot of gaps of dialogue because uh, my connection is not as fast as Darren's is, so by the time my voice gets back to him, there's usually a few seconds of space. So we tighten it up, we make it really presentable and, and higher, high, very high quality. When Tammy's on, we have to delete
0: a lot of stuff.
1: I export to MP3, re-upload that to FTP, and he publishes.
0: The magic of the Internet thanks to Jeremy and Isabel and Mav and everybody else for writing and calling in this week. Here's this week's listener question. This Friday's new episode includes a bit on the relationship between Dr. Rodney McKay and Dr. Jennifer Keller. What do you think of romance on Stargate? Do you have a favorite pairing from SG-1 or Atlantis, or do you think that romance just has no place on the show? Let the Salmon Jack shiver mail fly. I'd like to see some of that. So give us a call on the podcast hotline at 616-712-1647 or head over to GateWorld Forum and look for the podcast feedback thread. You can also post a comment on the show notes page. Coming up on the GateWorld Podcast, November 25th, we're talking about Brainstorm. And we're very excited this week to be able to announce that David Hewlett is coming back to the GateWorld Podcast. And even better, I'm going to be there when he comes. David Reed's actually going to be here this time. David Hewlett joined me to talk about the Shrine earlier this season. And we had a lot of fun, so he said he wanted to come back and talk about Brainstorm with us. That'll be a great show next week, we hope. And then there's no new episode of Atlantis airing the week of Thanksgiving. So for our December 2nd show, we're talking about Fan Entitlement. And David, I want you to kind of give us the explanation as to what that discussion is going to be about.
1: I think it's important that uh, we don't always have a steady diet of dessert on this podcast. I think it's important that sometimes we can discuss some meat and potatoes, real life... Issues, Mm -hmm. And this is one for a long time that we've been holding off on because we wanted to get a few episodes under our belt in case uh, we took a little flack for it. And I plan on taking a little flack for this one. We're going to focus on fan entitlement. Mm -hmm. What is the role of fans? What do we think the role of fans is? Uh, Fan behavior. What is appropriate and what is not appropriate as best as as two fans can think of it. Uh, We have a couple of horror stories to tell. And uh, basically, we're going to address this point. You know, the producers and actors on this show, writers and directors, are well known for saying that Stargate would not be around without the fans. Uh Sometimes I think fans take that a little too far and say, I'm a fan. You need to listen to what I'm saying because the show wouldn't be around if it wasn't for me. So we're going to address that. Is that really an appropriate thing to say? You know, is uh, just how much of the show is ours and how much of it is theirs, mm-hmm. and what right do we have to interfere in the, how the
0: show is made? Hmm. What do the so producers think... owe us in storytelling, and what do the actors, quote unquote, owe us when we meet them at conventions? Exactly. Yeah, those are some very so big I'm... questions, and and I think this this discussion might end up being a little bit controversial but i hope it's a good discussion
1: i really hope so too it is one that i've been wanting to talk about for some time and one uh, on a series of serious discussions every few episodes that i'd like to continue to talk about yeah. even if it doesn't award me a lot of brownie points i think it's very important that fans point a mirror in their faces and uh, their behaviors and their
0: motives and ask the question why well that'll be our december 2nd show episode number 21 And then we'll be back talking about the next episode, Infection, on December 9th. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Once again, we'd love to hear from you. Head over to GateWorld Forum and look for the podcast feedback thread. Or once again, the GateWorld Podcast hotline is at 616-712-1647. In this episode, David and I talked about Remnants, last week's episode of Stargate Atlantis, and gave you a preview of our upcoming interview with Dan Shea. Look for that on GateWorld later this week. And for links to everything we talked about today, look for the episode number 19 show notes. From GateWorld.net, this is Darren Sumner. And I'm David Reed. And you've been listening to the GateWorld Podcast.